Hello and welcome back to another edition of Blitz Scalable Venture Deals. And I'm really excited today because for the first time in one of these podcasts, we have gathered together the entire Blitz Scaling Ventures team. That's right. I, Chris Yeh, am joined not just by Scott Johnson, but by our other general partner, my old friend, Jeff Abbott. Say hello, guys. Hey, everyone. Good to be here again. Hey, Chris. Thanks for the welcome. Glad to join today. All right. So as you guys know, what we do every month is we cover the venture deals that were announced the previous month. So we are focused today on deals that were announced in July of 2022. Now, Scott, one of the things we do is we look at the total number of deals. We've been tracking this very closely now for some time, and we had seen some declines, but you're telling me that this month we saw a really severe decline. So talk about that. 68 deals, Chris. And to put that in context, we'd been running at about 150 this time last year, which was high. You know, we had been around 100, 110 for a long time, and we spiked up to around 150 for many of the months last year and even early this year. And last month, we were up around 130. So that was down a little bit, but still a very strong number. And suddenly we're at 68. And wow. So, you know, so what's causing that? Is that that there are a lot of inside rounds that don't get announced? Is it that there's a summer slowdown? And so, you know, that's always the case. And the answer to that is, well, there wasn't really last year or the year before. So there could be some summer slowdown effect. There could be some inside rounds that don't get announced effect. And so I, it's, it, there's a lot of noise in the data, but there's got to be signal here. I mean, that's a big drop. Absolutely. I mean, this just goes to show when people say that the public markets don't affect VC, they are truly morons if they say that. Of course they affect VC because in the end, that is what determines the value of companies. If the public company multiples contract by a factor of three, there's no way private valuations are going to stay the same. And we're seeing that effect both in terms of the number of deals and in terms of the decreased dollar volume per deal. Deal sizes are smaller uh, per series. The deal sizes are smaller as well. So we're seeing an overall pullback. Now, that being said, there's still lots of deals being done. I mean, there were times, you know, probably about 10 years ago when 68 deals would be an absurd number, a banner month. So we are still seeing a good number of deals coming through. Yeah, no, by, by, by any measure, there's still uh, health in the sector. I think the growth stage is seeing some of the toughest times where people that were in it for a quick buck, you know, okay, if I put, you know, a hundred million in this week, then a, week, a year from now, I'm going to get 400 million out. So let's do that. Some of the hedge funds, some of the, you know, super uh, sort of big money looking for a quick buck players, they have pulled back and you don't see Tiger headlining a deal a day anymore. Yeah. Although, again, one of the interesting things is also how the market is global. And Jeff and I were just recently in Brazil. I was speaking at the Startup Summit in Florianopolis and also did some events in Sao Paulo as well. And I was specifically speaking about blitzscaling in a bear market. And this was a very popular topic. People were really interested in learning, hey, times have changed, but what can I do to be effective during that time? So it didn't feel like people were turtling up and saying, oh, let's just give up. I mean, it felt like people were really excited about the future. Yeah, and the thing that, you know, the knee jerk would be, oh, blitz scaling, well, that, no one's gonna do that anymore. And so why don't you push back against that sort of knee jerk reaction, Chris? 
Yeah, no, of course it's a knee-jerk reaction because, as we know, blitzscaling is both relative and contextual. Obviously, you have to blitzscale differently under times like this. There's no question there are fewer deals and fewer dollars available. But it is also the case that blitzscaling is something where if you are increasing your lead over your competitors, then it doesn't matter whether it's taking place in a low-growth environment or a high-growth environment. You're getting closer to the Shangri-La of winning the winner-take-most market. And there's an analogy that I think we came up with recently, which is uh, my office is run by Rob Castaneda of Service Rock, and Rob is an avid triathlete. And one of the interesting things is you have the swim, you have the bike ride, you have the run. And in fact, when you're swimming and you're opening up a distance of several lengths over your competitors, it doesn't look like much. But when you get out of the water and hop on the bike and start going, by the time your competitor, who's a couple of lengths behind, catches up and is on their bike as well, it may be, you know, a thousand feet and maybe they can't even see you anymore. So appearances can be deceptive. And during tough times, if you're making forward progress and moving ahead faster than your competitors, it may be that when things become good again, that lead's going to just expand. That's right. The trick is not to drown. So you can't run out of cash, just like you can't run out of air. You, you know, you have to keep breathing and staying ahead. And that's really just as split scaling as when you're accelerating on your bicycle. All right. So we did have, despite the smaller crop of deals, we did have a couple of blitz scalers. We actually disagree about the number of blitz scalers. That's going to be a little tease for later on. But in terms of the Blitzscalers, the first company we want to talk about today is Stadium Live Studios. Now, this is one that I had a little bit of skepticism of, but Scott, you really argued strongly for it. And Jeff, you thought that it was a pretty good idea as well. So I'll let you guys describe this one. Well, first, let me describe the round. It's a Series A. It's $10 million. It was led by, co-led by KB Partners and Union Square Ventures. And it's a Toronto-based company. So these guys are in Canada. And there's some other good investors in this as well. And let's see, what else? Um, what's the URL for these guys? StadiumLiveApp.com. So if you want to look them up, it's StadiumLiveApp.com. And they are, well, Jeff, why don't you tell us what they're doing? So what they're doing is they're allowing fans of sports teams to come together online to spectate, watch the same, whether it be a basketball or a college football team that you're supporting to form groups online and watch those teams, as well as to collect and possibly trade NFTs uh, relating to those teams. So it's kind of a combination of, of live spectating meets, meets trading um, all coming together online. And where I think it's so interesting is so many alumni groups around the country today get together to watch a basketball game. The Dartmouth fans in, in Seattle or the Illinois fans in Phoenix. Now all of this can take place. You can actually watch a game with the people you want to watch it with, no matter where you are. Or Scott, you said, you know, what if you're the only fan of a given team in a particular community? Now you don't have to watch uh, that, that game alone. So it, it's definitely creating uh, an interesting hybrid here. Now, I'm a little skeptical. I, I am allowing that it could very well be interesting. And this is one where I'm not going to lay down on the tracks. We'll talk about one that I will lay down a little bit more on the tracks on later on. But what you guys have not mentioned is also the fact that this is taking place in the metaverse, right? This is super duper trendy. It is taking place in the metaverse. It has Web3 
NFTs and things like that. So I've got a little skepticism. But as you guys also know, when it comes to Web3, I tend to be more forgiving of Web3 that involves sports because sports is inherently an emotional, irrational endeavor. And so people really are emotionally connected. And things like the Green Bay Packers and their stock illustrate the fact that the pure power of fandom has real life monetary value. So I think it's interesting. And my goal is going to be to try it out and see if I, a sports fan, an avid sports fan of teams like the Los Angeles Lakers and Los Angeles Dodgers, which are not popular here in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, if I enjoy interacting with the other fans using the app. So I will give that a try. All right. Well, let's talk about scoring. How did we score this one? Well, winner take most. So, you know, that's as, as everybody remembers, winner take most and how you distribute the product are the two most important elements when we assess blitz scalability. And we want to score above 80. Anything that scores above 80 for us is a blitz scaler. Below 80, even a few points below 80, eh, you're not quite making it. There's some blitz scaling elements, but it's not enough to meet our test. So this one scores 81, and it starts off with a nine in winner take most. And it, it gets that because of the network effect, right? So you have this group of people that wants to get together and interact during a game, and that you want that to be the place where everyone goes. So there's a, we gave it a nine though, because it's not really a 10. Like as long as there are enough people there, that's sufficient to meet the test. If there are hundred people there and then 101 person shows up, then that doesn't really make the conversation that much better. So I, I think it's a nine out of 10 because of that. But on the same token, you want your friends around. You can actually form a friend group and watch just with your friends. And in that sense, it can be very viral. So the distribution, we also gave it a nine out of 10. It's not that all of your friends are going to naturally have to join because this is the global place where everybody meets like Facebook or the global place where everyone gets their news like Twitter. This is, you know, you might have a group of friends or buddies that you normally watch a game with and maybe they're dispersed. So you 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 use this app it's not a 10 but it's a nine but two nines in a row out of 10 that's that's very good so yep. it starts off strong absolutely and from there product market fit this is a seed stage deal we haven't tried the product yet so default answer here is going to be a seven they've been able to get enough traction and build something that's interesting enough for someone to give them 10 million bucks so it's worth something after i actually try the product maybe we'll increment this one up in terms of the rest, market size, sports is enormous, 10 out of 10, gross margin, this is a pure online company, 10 out of 10, org scalability, op scalability, 10 out of 10. That gives it overall a total score of 81, which is enough to get it into the blitz scalable category. And it is something that I will be trying out shortly. You know, there's you know, something we didn't talk to... about. Oh, sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Oh, the other important thing to note is that the NCAA recently relaxed their restrictions on earnings for college athletes. And in fact, many of them are trying to create their own platforms now to allow their athletes to engage with alumni and fans to be hired or to create and sell their own NFTs. And so this, in a sense, could be a platform for, for all of that to happen, where it doesn't have to be bounded by the specific university community you could follow that player all the way onto their pro team and, and beyond. So it does kind of have a, a unifying effect around those um, university or team vertical um, initiatives that, that have been taking place already. Yeah, and that's market size enhancing. The thing that's market size limiting is this doesn't pass the toothbrush test. You're going to use the app when there's a game on that you're interested in and 
you're not going to probably use it every day. I can't think of an everyday use. Maybe well, they will. If you're a baseball but... fan, you are using it every day. If you're a basketball fan, you're using it practically every day. Same for hockey. The thing is, for sports like American football and what the rest of the world calls football, that's more of a once or twice a week kind Pretty of thing. Pretty episodic. Yeah. Okay. Next, balance. Yes, balance is a repeat. So we've seen balance before. Back when they raised their Series A in August of 2021, we liked them then, we considered them a blitzscaler then. What they do is they do payments for B2B online purchases, especially B2B marketplaces. And this just makes sense. I just call it Stripe for B2B purchases. These are bigger purchases. They're facilitating and making it easier. Anyone who's ever done purchasing as a corporation knows how terrible it is, signing purchase orders and sending wires and sending checks. Did the check arrive? Oh my God, it's a huge pain. And Balance promises to make that much easier. You can plug it into your checkout process. They handle the service, making sure it comes through. And they can also produce add-on features like financing and insurance and the like. So this just makes a ton of sense. Last time out, it scored an 81, and this time out, it actually scored an 83, and that's because it has winner-take-most characteristics, not perfect, but good, so 9 and 9, like uh, Stadium Live Studios, because from a viral growth and distribution perspective, buyers are sellers, sellers are buyers, so just like a classic Airbnb, that helps out. Product market fit, we incremented up from seven to eight because now that they've raised this additional round of funding and they're generating additional volume, it's clear that they've achieved better product market fit. And then the rest of the way, this is a classic marketplace business is B2B marketplaces, 10 out of 10 for market size, 10 out of 10 for gross margins, 10 out of 10 for org and ops scalability. They tap into the existing payment flows of ACH and bank wires and the like. And it just seems like a great idea. And given that this is the second time they've made an appearance on our countdown, this becomes a priority for us to reach out to. Yeah. So if you want to look for them on the web, they're getbalance.com. And they did a $56 million B round led by Forerunner Ventures. The um, other investors are, let's see, HubSpot's in this one and Avid. Yeah, and Salesforce and Lightspeed. So I think Lightspeed led the A round, which originally put it on our radar. So great syndicate here, obviously great momentum. They got a growth round done at a time when it's very tough to do that. So hats off to these guys. They are doing something in a huge market, it's like trillions of dollars that, that change. And particularly now at the time of supply chain disruption, where so many merchants are reconfiguring who they work with and trade patterns are changing. This could facilitate that by making it a lot easier to connect and reconcile and, and move payments between new partners. Absolutely. I think that this is one that goes on our watch list for sure. Now, I'm going to skip over the next company and hit the last company on our list, okay. just because I want to save the discussion for last of the most controversial company. This next company we're going to talk about is a company called Ghost. It's not the Substack competitor. What it does instead is really interesting. Uh, what they do is they help retailers discreetly sell off their excess inventory. So it is a B2B marketplace taking place in, their, uh, in a very private environment, but it's absolutely huge market. Anyone who's ever studied the apparel market knows that something like 30 to 40% of the inventory is excess inventory. It ends up getting sent off to the Ross Dress for Lesses of the world, the TJ Maxx's of the world. But hey, maybe this offers them an opportunity to get a better price. And this is just a business model that we love. 
it can be found at ghost.io, but it's ghst.io. And I think that's testament to how few interesting URLs are left in the world because that is a tough URL. Uh, Union Square Ventures led a $25 million, sorry, $13 million Series A. Notice $13 million, not $33 million Series A. Chris, Chris mentioned earlier that and, you know the, the um, Stadium Live Studio, a $10 million Series A. That would have been a weak, lame Series A six months ago, but here we are. They're getting a Series A done, which is impressive at all. So how times have changed. We can find them, oh, as I said, on ghst.io. Now, in terms of their scoring, uh, in terms of winner take most, it's 10 out of 10 because this is classic marketplace dynamics, and this is not a commodity, right? There's different sizes of lots. There's very specific items. It's, you know, 10,000 blouses or 5,000 shorts or something like that. So it has the good characteristics for a two-sided marketplace that we like. It's By 10 out of 10 for sure. Like, liquidity matters here, and every additional person that joins the network adds a ton of value to the network it is a pure network effect here without any qualification next on flower growth of distribution has that classic effect that we love which is buyers or sellers sellers or buyers again even though it's secret because buyers are sellers and sellers are buyers because this is a tight-knit industry we think it becomes something that spreads like wildfire nine out of ten because there's no inherent virality but we think there's a lot of word of mouth so that's a great start product market fit uh, this has gotten its Series A done. It's a pretty straightforward marketplace product. Eight out of 10, this is a very well-known problem area. Market size, enormous. As I mentioned, this is a significant chunk of the overall apparel market, so 10 out of 10. Gross margins, op org and op scalability, because this is a two-sided marketplace, it's 10 out of 10. Maybe we could ding them a little bit on op scalability if they get involved in the logistics, but I don't think they do. I think they, they just don't. kick back. I think they're, they're, yeah. the, the retailers all understand how to do this. And that leads to an overall score of 89. That's a great score. 89 is rare. I mean, we're almost in, in that rare era of 90 or above, and we're not, but it's it's very close. 89 is, is exceptional. All right. So that's three clearly blitz scalable deals, a couple that we really, really like. Now we come to the one that's a bit more controversial. It's called Merkel Manufactory. And because I'm the one who's the skeptic, I'm not going to be the one to explain what it does. I'm going to force you guys to do it. Well, first, I should say that there is a a truism that may or may not be true in venture, which is that the most controversial deals are the ones that do the best, ultimately, that somebody's going out on a limb, just in the partnership, advocating so strongly, and some of the other partners are like, ah, it's full of it, you're full of it, it's no good. There's the famous story Chris tells about Airbnb and the Greylock partnership. Anyway, so th these controversial deals are, you know, they create interesting conversations, but sometimes they're also creating a ton of value. And this one, you know, could be one of those. They're going after something really big, which is they want to be, I'm going to say the level one or the sort of the base layer in the Web3 social network. So you need to, in Web3, have a smart contract that understands who you are and is the registry, and then also 
related to that, all of the sort of data around your relationships and things like that. So there's a lot of talk about how, you know, if you have a central authority governing a social network, then you have a human being who's in charge of too much power. And so you want to give that power back to the people. And this is a way to do that through the, what's it, what's the name of the network? The Farcaster Network. Farcaster Protocol. Yeah. So that that's what they're aspiring to do. They're aspiring to be the company that takes the Farcaster network, which was this open source community and brings it to life and makes it big and makes it the winner that is the place where you are, you have your online social agenda and you store your online social agenda, the Farcaster network, and they're using the Merkle system to interact with that data. And that is a big vision. And so, you know, take a guess who's funding it. Andreessen Horowitz. <laughs> it's a seed round at 30 million. So bigger than both of the A rounds we've already mentioned, bigger than some of the B rounds that we're seeing. So $30 million seed round. And Andreessen's in there. And there's some other good investors as well. A lot of different investors. We've got uh, Scalar Capital. We've got Ribbit Capital. We've got uh, A Capital Ventures. There's uh, Coinbase is in here. First round capital, one of our favorites. Floodgate is in here as well. Haystack. So quite a list, a uh, strong syndicate, and they've barely just begun doing anything. If you go to their webpage, there isn't much there except why don't you come work for us? So it's, uh, you know, it, it, it is not the uh, established winner where you can see how they're going to own the whole market because they've got so much traction and, and it, the, basically... The, the game is done and they are the, the the king who will assume the throne. Far from it. They are just getting going, which I think, Chris, does that summarize your objection? Yeah, this is a lottery ticket. Fundamentally, it's a lottery ticket because a huge amount of work was being done by the assumptions you made in the discussion. First of all, the assumption is that there will be social networks built on Web3. I think that's far from clear. Nobody's figured out, nobody's shown any signs that it actually works so far. And therefore, I remain skeptical. Our original Web 2.0 old school social networks are still running strong, and that's because of those massive network effects they have. And I see no reason to believe that all of a sudden, because of some ostensible, cool Web 3 distributed uh, nonsense, that that's going to change. Moreover, the idea that, oh, there's no single individual controlling it also means there's nobody to go to if something goes wrong. Guess what? This is like the people on these decentralized crypto exchanges. A friend of mine was talking about, they tried to do a transaction. It got hung up halfway in between. They went to a Discord and desperately said, hey, somebody help me. And one of the developers happened to be there, but they could have been a Russian bot for all he knew. And he could have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and something he <laughs> became very scared about <laughs> afterwards. And realized how close shave he had. And then finally, we, we are making this assumption that social networks are going to migrate to Web3, let alone the fact that they're going to be built on this particular protocol. I mean, I went and looked on Hacker News to see how many people had mentioned Farcaster. Hacker News is paradise for people who love Web3, love building new things, love to try out every single new thing, whether it is an, an oxygen chamber or some new programming language. And guess what? There was one mention of this thing there. So I don't think that this thing has any traction whatsoever so far. Yeah, it might work out huge. And if they're right, if if social networks all move to Web3, and if 
those networks are built on Farcaster. And if Merkel is able to take control of Farcaster as the primary uh, recipient, the primary company helping manage it, much like Red Hat with Red Hat Linux, then maybe they'll be worth quite a lot of money. And again, the investors in this deal are incredible, smart investors, personal friends at places like First Round, Floodgate, Haystack. I hope they make a colossal amount of money, but this is a lottery ticket. So let me put of a course middle, it is. A of course argument. it is. But when we score it, that just means you no. Hit but them I on object to the scores. Fit. I object to all the scores. <laughs> the scores that you, I, I refuse to even score this because it is not. There's not enough information to provide any scoring whatsoever. Well, it, it, okay. So you're saying that it's not winner take most. Uh, that there's just no argument that you could make that it is winner take most. So if all my sort of, if all these multiple your winner take happen, most Your winner takes most argument is circular, which is if everyone adopts it, then it's winner take most. Yeah. Well, the other That's argument circular. against it would be that it, it is winner take most and the winner already took the most. And, you know, that's Instagram, that's TikTok, that's Facebook, it's over. Right. And this, like, you don't need to recreate that. So what's the point? And Thank I agree you. with you, it, unless there is a app on this particular network that takes advantage of this particular decentralized protocol that you cannot do on Facebook that's really, really interesting, then there's no reason for this to exist. And let me put it this way. Just... Let me put forth the Go middle ahead, path Jeff. argument. So middle path argument here. So Elon Musk is currently bashing Twitter for fake accounts. And how many people have been contacted on, on Facebook by you know, questionable people. So imagine that with some clever branding and a, and a little virality, which again, this is conjecture, that one can come through and validate, verify, say, hey, this is really me. This is my LinkedIn profile. This is my Facebook, kind of like an about, about me, but it's all verified on the chain. It's 100% guaranteed to be me, no imposters here. And if I have some NFTs and other things that I own, I can link those all together. Now, what if, what if I decide to do that and I, that's portable and I do that on all of my platforms and, and maybe there's some you know, badge of saying verified by Farcaster or something, would other people want to have similar authenticity to you know, proof of, of their trustworthiness? And could this spread virally across many platforms so that there's groups of validated people that then could all coalesce into, into a new platform somewhere by virtue of the fact that they've already validated? Could it, so, go, could it go viral across platforms and, and in that sense, create a winner takes Yeah, so what you're saying is the, the bot problem is the killer app that makes this important. And that yeah. could be true. That could happen. Well, let me just uh, let me just say I appreciate the wonderful arguments and the visions you guys have laid out. The answer is the consumer doesn't give a shit. The consumer doesn't give a shit about the bot problem on Twitter. They complain about it, but they don't move to something else. The consumer doesn't give a shit about the fact that they consider Mark Zuckerberg one of those evil people alive, and yet they continue to use his products every single day. The consumer does not give a shit. Well, this has become a PG-rated podcast suddenly, <laughs> and <laughs> I guess that's okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's controversial for sure. And, you know, controversial deals, you got to pay attention to them. Fortunately, it's just a seed round, so we can wait and watch. And it doesn't, you know, it's not something that we have to uh, make a decision on right now. We can wait for a year and see what they do. So and it'd be very interesting to take to, a look at this one. And I'm looking forward to this potentially being the first deal, which I trashed, which then turns out to be great. Ah, There's well, always a first time. 
<laughs> we'll see. Uh, that, that we will, Jeff and I will revel in that if that happens, and you will revel in it if it doesn't. Absolutely. The problem is the odds are in your favor because most of the time, seat stage deals don't realize their potential. And so, I'm obviously aware really of those fair. odds, which is why I'm comfortable playing them. Yeah, just take the no, take the no side every single time on a seat deal, and you're going to look really smart. But you're okay. never going to make money. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, um, I mentioned that this is a $13 million, no, 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 sorry, $30 million seed deal. I didn't say the URL and it is MerkelManufactory.com. And it's a company out of LA. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Get Balance, the B2B payments company, that's out of Tel Aviv, Israel. And this was also um, Union Square. Sorry, Union Square was Ghost and this was Andreessen. Excellent. All right. So, so the good news is, despite the lower volume of deals, we still found a number of blitzscalers, including some that we're excited about and some that, you know, there's a little more controversy around, but certainly we can put on our watch list. And that's the beautiful thing about the startup world. The supply of human ingenuity is seemingly endlessly renewable, regardless of the economic circumstances. There's still stuff for us to get excited about. And now the interesting question will be, as we barrel towards September, what August's deal count is going to look like? Anyone want to offer some potential thoughts there? I think it's going to be depressed. Just below, like, uh, below this level, below 68? I would say it's going to be about the same. Okay. And so we'll, we'll see. But, you know, the fact is that all the investors have been sprinting for the last what, I don't know, 24 months or so. It's just been a sprint trying to win the deal, try to win the deal, try to win the deal. It's all about speed and that gets tiring. And I think people have just sort of taken a breather, taken stock of the situation this summer. And the data we're looking at, Chris, makes it seem like it's sort of a four or five quarter thing that takes it takes some time to work through where it's risk off and people are careful before they understand the new set of norm normals and start leaning in again. So if that's the case, we're talking about Q2 of 2022, then Q3 of Q4, Q1, Q2. So we're talking about mid-year of 2023 before we see a return to normal levels of volume that would be what the pattern would suggest i think that's what yeah so if history is our guide but we'll see if history is our guide it's it's it, all these downturns are different it was longer much longer in 2000 so it, hopefully it won't be that kind of a desert yeah wonderful well gentlemen thank you so much for joining me for today's very spirited session i am eager to look back in a year or two to see exactly how these various predictions came out but in the interim, I will bid our listeners a fond farewell and trust that they continue to enjoy hearing our take on blitz scalable venture deals. On behalf of Scott Johnson and Jeff Abbott, I'm Chris Yeh. Thank you for listening.